Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis, and I'm the pastor here at Good Shepherd Church, and some of you are connecting with us live stream. A lot of you are connecting live. However you're doing it, I'm glad to be able to connect back with you. We're in week two in this series called Relationships, not fake relationships, not phony connections, but how is it that we can have real relationships? And and sort of our, our model, our relational bonding model, which comes from a man named John Van Epp, who taught here a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning. We did something we don't ever do, and, and, and we had a guest speaker come in. And, and uh, well, I'm also doing something I don't ever do. I'm preaching with a model behind me, not like a model model, but this relational model behind me. And, and we, we recognize that all relationships, and this is whether you, your relationships at work, sometimes even between parents and children, certainly between romantic partners and maybe even husbands and wives, all progress along this no trust, rely, commit, touch continuum. Last week, we dwelt on no, which means that today we're dwelling on y'all are so on it. Yes. And so if you have trust issues, and maybe if you don't, this talk is especially for you. And this talk comes from the uh, Old Testament book of Judges. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate in the Bible, Judges chapter 16. And uh, maybe your Bible looks like mine, kind of looks like a book and find Judges 16, keep your finger there. Maybe it's loaded on your phone, in which case you scroll to Judges. And if you don't have either of those options available, the words are going to be up at the, on the screen at just the right time. That's kind of how we do it here. And, and as you may have just heard me reference, a lot of us have a Bible that looks like a book, and I just want to be clear that the Bible is not a book. It's a library, collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time and in multiple writing styles. And the book of Judges is in the history section of the Old Testament library, and it really describes a, a, a sordid, unfortunate history section of, of, of the life of Israel. And the events that, that are in the book of Judges take place about 1200 BC, so over 3,200 years ago. And, and what we're, the story we're going to look at in just a moment uh, covers Samson. You, you, you may have heard of Samson. A lot of people have heard of Samson. You might not have known he was in the Bible. And if you didn't know he's in the Bible, you did know he's in the Bible, you didn't know for sure it was in Judges. That's where he is, Judges chapter 16. The thing that we, the other thing that we uh, in leadership here at Good Shepherd believe about the Bible is something that you may not believe yet, you may be wrestling with, or you may just love that we talk about so openly. But here it is. We believe that God breathed his life into the Bible's words. He put his truth onto its pages. We believe in leadership, leadership here that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, comes a custom that some of you are already beating me to. We lift up the Bible when we talk about it here. And if you're new here, you're looking around, well, this is unusual. Yes, it is. We admit it. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people. We don't have life figured out. We're just glad that God does. And because he has it figured out, we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen? Amen? One other thing before I say anything else, let's pray. Father, as I uh, give this message on trust and we think about Samson, I just am so glad to be, to be able to declare here at the very beginning that 
that the words from Proverbs are, are my word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your, on your own understanding. And so that's what I do today because I know my understanding misunderstands. So I trust in you for these moments and for this message. Fill me and everyone within the sound of my voice with the goodness and the joy and the depth of the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the, uh, the most interesting gaps, distances, in the whole world of Jesus and faith and Bible and church is the gap between the Samson that we think there is and the Samson there is. The, the distance between the Samson we want and the Samson we actually get, actually the gap between the Samson of folklore and the Samson of scripture, or, or maybe the Samson of my illustrated children's Bible when I was six years old, the, the gap between the Samson in there and the Samson that we actually find in here. And, and the reason I talk about the, that, that gap and between the Samson that people know is because a lot of people, maybe even most people, whether you've read the Bible or not, whether you go to church or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, it seems like virtually everyone knows about Samson and they tend to know the same thing. Like we know that Samson's girlfriend's name is... Y'all are on it. And Samson, with his girlfriend named Elias, Samson is really... That was not as good. Samson is really... And the source of his strength is that Samson has really long... Yeah, so he's the guy with the Delilah. He's the guy with the guns. He's the guy with the hair. Samson is like the rock with dreads in the movie Hercules. That's this is what we think of Samson. That, that's exactly what Samson was like. And, and so that's the Samson we want. That's the Samson we think. But the Samson we got, the Samson we is, totally different. Because the, the story of Samson, I don't know if you know this or not, the story of Samson is in the scriptures, in the permanent record of scripture, not so that he will be a role model, as in go and do thou likewise, but so that he will be an object lesson, as in see whatever it is that Samson did and then run away as fast as you can do a 180 in, in the distance from Samson. Because in the space of only one chapter, Samson, which is Judges 16, Samson gives us this marvelous lesson about trust, how to use it, how to misuse it, how to jump into it way too quickly, and what the very negative consequences are when you misuse this gift of trust. Because we're talking, we're, we're talking in this series about real relationships. And as I mentioned, we're using sort of a bonding model. How is it that relationships, again, whether it's relationships between husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends or coworkers and colleagues or even life group pilgrims at Good Shepherd Church, that they grow along this arc, that they grow along, that the, you want to know people, 
more than you trust them and you want to trust them more than you rely on them and you want to rely on them more than you commit on them to, to them and then you want to all of that needs to be ahead of how you touch and touch we do mean physical and last week we dwelt on no and we saw how it is that a lot of people they don't know people at all but they trust them completely they rely on them totally and they touch them intimately and for some of you, it helped so many of your broken relationships from the past just sort of snap into focus. And we asked that question, why do we work so hard to be known for something when we can be known by someone? Well, today, as I mentioned, it is all about trust. And Samson's going to give us this master class and what not to do with trust. And as I mentioned, his story comes in the Old Testament book of Judges, which as you may or may not know, when, when anything happens in Judges, 1200 BC, 3200 years ago, that's code for this is a time of unprecedented anarchy and lawlessness for the children of Israel. The book of Judges has no happy endings and virtually no heroes. And Samson, for all the chaos, all the anarchy, all the lawlessness, Samson is the poster child for all of it. And, and we see that in the way this particular story opens. Look at chapter 16 and verse 1. Judges chapter 16 and verse 1, where it says this. One day, Samson went to Gaza. You're like, whoa, what? Gaza? Yes, the same Gaza in ancient times as today. Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Now, wait, 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 wait. That was not in my illustrated children's Bible. <laughs> Did that make it into yours? We, we, we just learned immediately, viscerally, Samson is not a man of restraint. He's a man governed by his impulses. And look what happens next when the people of Gaza discover Samson, who's been a very effective warrior for Israel against the Philistines who are headquartered in, in Gaza. Look what happens when he gets discovered. The people of Gaza were told Samson is here. And so they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all the night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. So we sing at the dawn's early light, and they were like, at the dawn's early light, Samson is out of here. Verse three, but Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. He's not waiting around till the morning. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all, and he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So Samson sort of outwits those who would take his life and causes destruction to the city of Gaza in the process because he's so strong. And so this little incident sets up the rest of the story because Samson's enemies, they want to discover the secret of his strength. How is this guy so strong? They want to discover that secret so that they can neutralize him. And, and all, so the rest of the, the drama unfolds. How is this gonna, going to play out? Which means that what happens in verse 4 is not by accident. Look at verse 4 where it says this. Some time later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. I love this. He 
fell in love. You've done this. I've done this. We've all done. Do you know what is the prerequisite for falling in love? Do you know what you have to have in order to fall in love? A pulse. <laughs> go, go ahead and check. You got one? You are pre-qualified to fall in love. And that's what happens to Samson. He sees Delilah. Presumably she looks good. Probably she makes him feel good. And Samson falls and falls hard in love with Delilah. And what happens as a result of that falling in love is that he doesn't know her at all, but he trusts her completely. She trusts her because of how she looks and how she makes him feel. He doesn't know anything about her. Why? Because he listened to his pulse. His pulse is going to tell him what to do. And he's going to fall for Delilah. And you should too, I guess. And so he falls and he falls hard without knowing what this woman is like. And speaking of what this woman is like, look at verse five. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And if you don't know how much 1,100 shekels of silver is worth, you're, you're normal. You, you shouldn't. But 1,100 shekels of silver, that is like lottery winning money. You tell us the secret of Samson's strength, strength Delilah. You're going to win the lot. We will bring you the lotto. So we know immediately that, that, that Delilah, she's a, she's a con. She's a spy. She's a player. In, in the world of Bronze Age espionage. So, so you've got this guy who doesn't know her, doesn't know he's dealing with a spy. He trusts her totally. And what happens next? And, and I just hope you, you will come to appreciate how skillfully the biblical authors, the biblical author of the book of Judges, tells the story because how it reads next is like a sitcom. The back and forth, the absurdity is so much of the point. I can't wait for you to see how it works. Look at verse six. So Delilah, verse six, said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. <laughs> I don't like where y'all's minds are going here <laughs> at all. Well, Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been tied, I will become as weak as any other man. So the, the lie is told, the trap is set, and Samson steps right into it. And what happens when the trap is set? Verse 8, then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them, with men hidden in the room. Wait. There's men hidden in the room? This is their love nest? That's what it is? And she's got guys hiding in the closet? With men hidden in the room, she called him Samson. The Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. So she tricks and he lies. And their trust level should be extraordinarily low. Except it's not. 
especially in the hands of this masterful author. Look what happens next, verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, you made a fool of me. And I'd be like, well, you tried to kill me. You made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. And he said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man trap set lie told. Let's see what happens. Verse 12. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. And then with men hidden in the room, not again. <laughs> men hidden in the room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But the, he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Man, fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Fool me, except if you're Samson, in which case you can fool me as many times as you think, as you want to. <laughs> Samson is clearly not thinking with his brain in this situation. And then verse 13, the dance continues, 13 and 14. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me, and again, and all this time you've been trying to kill me. Tell me how you can be caught, tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the, I told you, he's the rock with dreads. <laughs> you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. I mean, it's, it hurt, give me a headache just to talk about it. And again, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and pulled the pen from, and pulled up the pen and the loom with the fabric. And at this stage, you're, you're like, come on, Samson, come on. She's, she's tried to kill you three times. How often are you going to be just this dumb? And, and, and as I realized, first of all, what a brilliant writer we have. We're, we're reading a sitcom on the pages of scripture. But I really realize on a deeper level, when we're like, come on, Samson, that Samson saw what he wanted to see. He didn't see what was real. He liked how Delilah looked. He liked how Delilah made him feel. And so he saw in that relationship what he wanted to see, not what was, what was really in front of his eyes. And I realize he's not the last person to do that. It's why you stayed with that guy who abused you. It's why you stayed with the woman who stepped out on you. It's why you continue to enable the addict who is in your attic, who's your kid. It's why you keep in that work environment that is so damaging and so toxic. You're not seeing what's real. You're seeing what you want to see. It's even why some of you have sat under, continued to sit under that ministry leader who ultimately manipulated your emotions, reached into your pocketbook. Yeah, Samson's not the first to continue to trust someone who all but calls out, begs you, don't trust me. And because he saw what he wanted to see and not what he actually did see, disaster is in the offing, which we're going to see in round four of this dance between Samson and Delilah. Look what it says in verse 15. 
So she said to him, she's such a master at this. How can you say you, I love you when you won't confide in me? Of course, he could have said, well, how could you try to kill me? How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength with such nagging. She, I'm not touching that. She prodded him day, <laughs> you're thinking smart, day after day until he was sick to death of it. She's manipulative. She tells him how much she loves him. If you loved me, you would. If you love me, you will plays into every bit of insecurity. And what happens in verse 17? So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite. That's not Nazarene like Jesus. Nazarite, it was a special vow. A Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. She has this neon light. Don't trust me. And yet in the heat of the moment, he trusts her with everything. And what happens in verse 18? When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. Who knows? Maybe he trusted her because finally those guys were out of the closet. They weren't in their room with them. He has told me everything. And so the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, meaning her lottery winning check. And after putting him to sleep on her lap, by the way, when scriptures very tastefully says she put him to sleep on her lap, it's not after they'd finished their Bible study together. That's not what it's saying. She called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and all of his strength left him. Verse 20. And then she called Samson. The Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Whew. What a sad ending. He did not know that the Lord had left him. And we do not know if the Lord left him because his hair left him. Or did the Lord leave him because the Lord finally got fed up with all the ways that Samson trusted Delilah more than he trusted the Lord? What we do know at this stage of the game is that Samson, our object lesson guy and not a role model guy, that Samson has trusted very quickly and guarded himself and his integrity and his relationship very recklessly. And we realize that Samson is not in this story so that we will go and do likewise. Samson is in this story so that we will use him as an object lesson and run as fast as we can and with all the strength that we have so that we will run the opposite direction. That Samson is placed in this, in this larger story of anarchy and lawlessness and, and it's as if the, uh, the author of Judges is, is putting him in the story saying, see, see this this neon light that says, don't trust me. And he trusts me anyway. This is the guy. This guy represents the entire book all because he trusted so quickly and guarded himself so recklessly. And here's where we land. All of you who's in any kind of relationship, whether it's romantic relationship or marriage relationship or work relationship or even relationship with people at church, here's what the Lord has brought me here to let you know. Grow trust slowly 
so you can guard it tenaciously. Instead of like Samson, where you don't know at all, but you trust completely, you want to know very well, and you grow this level of trust, trust in your emotions, and and trust in your level of sharing, and, and trust in your secrets. You grow that slowly, and when you grant that trust, once it is granted, you will want to guard it tenaciously. And for those of you who are, are single or single again, and, and, and you're involved in a relationship, and woo, that relationship's feeling good, and it's, it's getting serious, and that relationship might even be headed towards marriage, I just, I want you to, I want you to remember both Samson and Ben Franklin. Because what did Ben Franklin say? He said, before marriage, keep your eyes wide open, and afterwards, keep them half shut. Well, Ben, no wonder you're so smart. You discovered electricity. You had the secret to marriage as well. That's what I want for you, especially if you're in that kind of relationship headed towards marriage. Keep those eyes absolutely wide open. I'm going to have a word for you marrieds a little bit later, but for all of you, grow trust slowly so that when you grant it, you can guard it tenaciously. I think I, think I benefited from this dynamic even if the people involved didn't really, wouldn't have had the language for it. My father, who was born in 1911, in, which means he's 123 today. He's not still with us, but he, he would be. 1911 in Akron, Ohio. My father was born on the wrong side of the tracks in Akron, Ohio. He came from a, a kind of a rough family. There was jail time in his family tree and not a lot of accomplishments, and he was quite rough around the edges. He was very smart, but not at all refined. Well, my mom, on her side of the family, either in her eyes or her family's eyes or everybody's eyes, they came from the right side of the tracks in Akron, Ohio. And so when my mom's parents started seeing that she started going out with this ruffian, they tried to do everything they could to break them up including sending my mom to college in Florida, which if you know anything about geography, Florida is not close to Akron, Ohio. <laughs> but somehow through all those interventions, my mom and my dad, they worked things out. They grew their trust slowly. And when their trust was granted it, they guarded tenaciously because 69 years and eight kids later, I'm the, I'm the eighth of eight kids. Can we, can we just pause and, and agree how awful the world, the place the world would be if they'd stopped at seven? So, 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 so I hope my brothers and sisters are watching online and I'm getting the text messages now. Who do you think you are, you spoiled brat? You, 69 years and eight kids later, they, only death did them part. And you know, the most delicious irony of it all is that when my granddad, my mother's father, when he got to be a very old man, who did he turn to for advice? He turned to my dad, the same one he tried to break up. And, and, and it turns out he too learned to grow that trust slowly. But once my dad got it, he guarded it tenaciously. Those of you who are single and single again, you know how you live this out. It's very easy to fall in love. I've, I've, I've told you that already. All you need is a pulse. 
And I just want to invite you into that kind of life where you think less about falling in love and you think more about staying in love. Falling in love is easy and staying in love is hard. And if you are trending towards serious romance or even marriage, I want you to take the time and to make the effort to stay in love, to ask those hard questions. Does this person share my values? Does this person share my faith? Have enough time to see them at their worst? How does he treat his sister? How does she treat her brother? Gives you a pretty good indication of how they're going to treat you. And know this, if, if in the dating relationship, that partner asks you, insists you, if you love me, you will, to violate your core convictions, the Eagles wrote a song about you and it's called Already Gone. Grow trust slowly so you can guard it tenaciously. And if, if this is an issue at work, and if you find yourself, man, you took that job, it was shiny, it was new, they promised the moon, and now you're in that workplace and you realize they have overpromised and underdelivered, you're likely going to need to have an ally, you're likely going to need to have someone to help you navigate your way through. And along the way, you're going to need to ask yourself that very serious question, was it what is it about me? What is it in me that makes me so vulnerable? to saying yes to a work situation like this. Why do I stay here even when it is killing me? And for those of you who are married, it's kind of funny how it works out. Sometimes I will meet uh, my, my wife, Julie. We've been married 39 years. And, and sometimes I will meet people, her friends from her work. And when I meet them, they are so familiar like they know me. And I'm not uncomfortable with a lot, but over-familiarity, I'm, I'm pretty uncomfortable with. And when I'm getting uncomfortable with their over-familiarity at Ju Julie's work, then I have a moment of maturity, and I realize, you loser. The reason they know you so well is because she talks about you all the time. And she talks about you all the time to her friends at work. And she puts your good qualities in the foreground and leaves your multiplicity of bad qualities in the background. She keeps that hidden from public view. So people should see, will see only the best. You should be thanking your lucky stars that these people feel like they know you so well. So I do. And so how to, hey, if you want to guard trust tenaciously, if you're married, how do you talk about your mate when they're not in the room? How much do you build them up? How uncomfortable will they be that your friends who they haven't met know them and know them well and know their good qualities above all else? Grow trust slowly so you can guard it tenaciously. Yeah, some of you and what I've been talking about are the Samson's in the equation. You've trusted way beyond. Your trust is at 11. Your knowledge is at one. But then I know that others of you, within the sound of my voice, you're the Delilahs in the equation. You haven't had trust broken. You've been the trust breaker. And if you are realizing right now, oh my gosh, that's 
That's me. If you have the self-awareness to realize I'm talking about you, Delilah, what do you do? How do you break those patterns that you have of breaking trust? Well, you know what? Do, if that's you and, and you've been, you, you wrecked that marriage, you ruined that relationship, you've been caught breaking trust, here's what I want you to know. Do not promise you'll never do it again. Do not make a vow. I'm going to be better. Your promises and your vows are what's gotten you in trouble in the first place. You have a habit, a chronic habit of over-promising and under-delivering. And so instead of promising I'll never do it again, instead of vowing I'll be better, just don't do it again. Just be better by the Lord's power. Your words are getting you in trouble. You will only prove your intentions with your follow-through. And for all of you, whether you're the Samson who's gullible or the Delilah who's culpable, all of you, this message must seem like, man, what an order. I can't go through with it. Well, guess what? You can't but I know one who can. And the one I know who can has as his calling card, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding because your own understanding misunderstands. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, think of him in all your ways. He will make your path straight. Trust in Jesus who loves to be trusted who will love to take all the pieces of broken trust in your life and will cobble them back together. You cannot do it, but he can. Grow trust slowly so that you'll guard it tenaciously in the same way he's guarding you. Let's, let's pray. So, Father, thank you that you are trustworthy. And we turn away from all those ways we have trusted people beyond their level of trustworthiness. We trust you more than any Delilah in our life. We trust you above all. Cleanse us, clarify us, purify us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.